You are listening to Gangland Wire, hosted by former Kansas City Police Intelligence Unit Detective Gary Jenkins. Hey guys, all you wiretappers out there, this is uh, one of the series of short episodes about the Chicago outfit in 1989. I'm recording this with my friend Cam Robinson, Camulus Robinson, and Paul Whitcomb, my other friend. Both of these guys are experts on the Chicago outfit. Now, looking back at 1989, the Cubbies won first place in the National League East, but the Giants beat them in the National League playoffs, if you remember that. The Royals, since I'm from Kansas City, we finished second in the American League West, kind of on our way back downhill from our great win in the World Series in 1985. Richard J. Daly had been the mayor for a long time in Chicago, and Richard M. Daly, little Richie, became the mayor in 1989. Now you're going to notice that the sound is just a little off. I had to take the sound from a Zoom call because my recorder developed a problem during the taping, and I didn't notice it until we were about, God, I've been about an hour or so into it, and none of us wanted to go back over this again. It just, it's like catching lightning in a bottle doing a show. I felt like we'd done something really good, and it just, we, it just can't, sometimes you just can't do it again. So, but I think it's a cool show, a cool series of episodes about, Stool pigeons in 1989. Now, 1989, the Chicago outfit had a bad year, as you'll see. Everybody came in and started talking. So settle back and listen to this particular episode. I don't remember which is which. Now, don't forget to hit me up on my Venmo, buy me a shot and a beer, or help me buy a new recorder, which I'm going to do. Or hit me up on my website on the donate page using PayPal, or you can use your credit card. Now, settle back and listen to this particular episode of the year of the stool pigeon we're getting ready to do uh first of a series of shows here on uh the chicago outfit in 1989 which was known as the year of the stool pigeon they got hit big time before we get started with my guests don't forget to hit me up on venmo join our facebook group gangland wire uh, podcast uh, you can give me a paypal on my website venmo's real easy uh, Send me an email. Give me some suggestions about anything that you, you want me to do in the future. Uh, if you if you hit me up on Venmo or PayPal, I'll put you on a list to join in the Zoom call that I do periodically with other podcast supporters. Now, today I have my, my good friend and, and a guy who's actually been kind of a part-time co-host off and on for the show, uh, Cam Camulus Robinson. And along with Cam, we've got... His friend and another Chicago outfit expert, Paul Whitcomb. Welcome, guys. How you doing, Gary? Thanks for having us. Now, you guys do another show up there in Chicago. What's what's that show that you guys have done up there? Well, we have uh, a couple of different things going on. The big thing that, that Cam and I have been doing is uh, the VPod TV network, which is a new TV network. We've got a show called Inside the Chicago Outfit, which is essentially four or five of us and special guests sitting around a table talking about different things in the Chicago outfit. We've done Sam Giancana, Tony Accardo, um, the policy wars, and it's, it's a brand new TV network that's available on several of the different uh, streaming networks, right, Cam? Right. It's uh, it's available on Roku, VPOD, uh, VPOD, and comes on Friday and Saturday nights at uh, 8.30 to 9.30 uh, Central, 
and 9.30 to 10.30 uh, Eastern time. So it's it's really, we do a lot of research going into it. It's a lot of fun, sit around and really go do a deep dive into a lot of lot of subjects. So it's a, it's a good watch. Yeah, I've seen that. Now, Joe Seifert uh, does that with you, correct? That's right, right. And you're he, third person. And, and Joey Seifert is the son of Danny Seifert, who was murdered by uh, Joey the Clown, Joe Lombardo, and I believe it was it Frank Sweets was the other suspect in that murder. He was one of them. He sure okay. was. That's right. It was a real concerted effort. A lot of uh, a lot of people participated. Really. So anyhow, let's uh, let's move on to uh, looking back at 1989 Chicago, the year of the stool pigeon. So Paul, you you kind of start talking about this early on. Uh, kind of give us uh, give us an overview of, of what happened that year. Well, Gary, you know, there's a kind of a myth about the Chicago outfit that that until about this time, nobody flipped on the Chicago outfit. There was such terror uh, of them and their control of the courts that nobody flipped. But but the reality is that if you go all the way back to Al Capone, Al Capone's own lawyer, O'Hare, turned over a set of ledger books to the IRS, which which led to Capone's conviction. Of course, there's Willie Beoff who uh, set Paul Rick and the whole crew away in the 40s. And, and then we had Chuck Cromaldi and Frank Collada. So there's been a long history of them. It's just until 1989, you, you, you never had high-ranking members of the outfit or a series of serious blows to the outfit like we did in this year. It's a, it's a year that dismantled the outfit in a way like no other. And it's so worth talking about. We have so many different people who flipped during that year. And they knocked out the, really the legs that held the outfit up. Interesting. You know, in Kansas City, uh, compare and contrast, we never had anybody flip except a couple of minor people. And, and they weren't even from Kansas City. But because of the skim and all the wiretaps that the Bureau did, they took down uh, the entire hierarchy of the uh, early 80s of, of the Kansas City outfit. But as Bill Owsley, my, my good friend, the FBI, had said, nobody ever flipped in Kansas City that was, was anybody uh, we always figure because it's such a small town that they leave all this extended family behind and then they have to then deal with the extended family and the people they flip on. So it's a much smaller town. It might be a little easier to flip and your family stay away from other outfit guys in Chicago. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Right. So, so the first one that we're going to talk about is Robert Cooley. And I talked to Robert Cooley on the phone. He's uh, quite a talker. He didn't really want to come on a podcast yet. He's written a book. But he was, uh, he tells me, and you guys tell me if he was right or wrong, that he came in on his own just out of a guilty conscience. He said he used to be a cop and, and, and as, as a lawyer when he was really got involved in uh, uh, taking bribes and passing bribes along to judges that uh, he, he felt so bad that he came in on his own. What, what do you guys know about Robert Cooley and his initial coming in? Oh, boy. Who knows the heart of a man? I I can't say for sure, Gary, other than I'm really skeptical that that a guy goes along for all these years as a corrupt lawyer, an outfit lawyer who was involved in 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 setting up all kinds of corrupt trials. And all of a sudden he says, gee, I I just can't be a part of this anymore. How do you draw the line in that kind of scenario? I'm very, very skeptical of that description with, with the caveat that, of course, I don't know what's going on in his mind, but I don't think people ever change. How many years were you a cop? Did, did you ever see anybody just on their own say, gosh, I'm I'm going to be a good guy now? <laughs> no, I right. don't. I, 
Cooley was and Cooley wasn't somebody on the periphery. He was he was sitting down to eat with these guys, high ranking guys, low ranking guys, street guys. I mean, he tells he, he tells stories. And if half of them are to be believed, I mean, he was with he was with killers. He was dining out, having coffee, having having dinners. So, as Paul said, the guy might have had a clear con, uh, clear uh, uh, change of conscience. I mean, he might have gotten religion late in life. Who, who knows? But it is kind of a, a romantic story to tell about oneself, but it, it would be a rare one. You know, he may have, you know, he was a big time gambler and he may have had a huge gambling debt out there. That, that <laughs> yes, may have played a role. Yeah, uh, really. So, Paul, tell us about, uh, once you start out, Paul, tell us about uh, how important was he? What, what did he, what was he able to give the FBI? The thing about the Chicago outfit that always made it so much more powerful, and, and, and it's, it's related families, Kansas City, Milwaukee, Vegas, was that they had total control of the city power structure. The courts and the police belonged to the outfit. So if an outfit associate was accused of a crime, the outfit could go to people like Cooley and make sure that the sympathetic judge got the case and that that judge got an appropriate gratuity, and that they walked so that there was no consequence. It, it, uh, the system allowed the outfit to operate with impunity from the justice system, and it made them stand head and toes, uh, head and shoulders above any other organized crime family because of that impunity from justice. And that's what Cooley uh, potentially could have taken away during Operation Gambat uh, um, and uh the other related one, Silver Shovel, and the related prosecutions that brought down judges and clerks and bailiffs and put a huge, huge irreparable debt in the political control of, of the courts. Yeah, now that Operation Gambat that Paul mentioned, that was uh, an acronym or a shortened uh, code name for the investigation around Cooley, or using Cooley. It was, called, it was a short term for a gambling attorney because he was such a big gambler. He was in a lot of debt. He was in a lot of debt. Sure. Hey, hey, uh, Cam. Now, what you know? Tell us about him doing sitting down with people wearing a wire. It was probably there with uh, I believe it was Pat Marcy and and uh, oh, I can't remember the other guy's name at the Counselor's Row restaurant. Right. Sure. I think. Yeah. What what Paul is saying is right. You can't have these street guys going in and just offering payment to judges. You can't. You can't have that bridge. You need guys like. You, if you're going to pay off judges, and, and obviously that's necessary, and, and the outfit had those, you need guys like Cooley who are able to make that grift and who are able to ease because judges don't want some street guy like Harry Aleman or, or Butch Petricelli or, 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 or Tony Tony Spilatro coming in saying, "Here's your here's your twenty five hundred. We need a we need a, a, a not guilty." So a guy like Cooley would go in would go in. He he could meet with guys it's like. Pat Marcy and he could get his marching orders and he could go in, he'd sit down with the judges, but yeah, he would, he would wear a wire and they knew to trust him. And the, and the, he had sat with these guys, the judges knew him. They knew he was the outfit representative. So they would speak openly in front of him. He was, that was who would give, who, who you would go to get your, your cash payment from. And it wasn't like these were huge payments. When you look at the, the Harry Aleman trial, that was, what was it? Two grand. I mean, that was, that was, 10 grand. I'm sorry. Yeah. 10 grand, Paul, but you look at to fix a murder trial in a major, 
Metro American area. I mean, that was, that was a big murder trial and, and 10 grand. I mean, that was, that was nothing to come up with all the evidence that they had in that trial. And the average price I think was about two grand. That one was a little bit bigger. So, but a guy like Cooley was the one negotiating those. And so when he, when he was sitting down with, with these judges and wearing the wire, it was, they would speak totally freely in front of him. Everybody would speak freely because he was literally one of the most crooked attorneys in town. And he was, he was the man who would make, it was the inroad to, to judges, to everybody, to, to politicians. So he was exactly the key to getting into the crooked courts and any, any judge who was, who was crooked enough to, to accept bribes would have met with Cooley and would have known he's the guy that you talk to. Now, now you mentioned Harry Aleman, who, uh, folks, if you don't remember, I've got a podcast, a uh, multi-part podcast, because he's such a complex, uh, hardworking hitman for the outfit. But Harry Aleman, if I remember right, he killed a guy named Billy Logan, who was not allowing, he, he was a teamster and he was in a truck dock and he was not allowing people to go in there and steal. And he killed him one night sitting in front of his car and, or sitting in front of his house. And there was a witness. And then the guy driving Aleman's car testified and the witness testified in front of this judge, whose name I believe was Frank Wilson, correct me if I'm yeah. wrong. And he paid him 10 grand, although I think he promised him 20 and then only paid him 10, uh, maybe wrong on that one. And then when this all fell down, Harry Aleman got a not guilty, then Aleman got retried when it came out. Cooley went out where the judge was retired and told him, you know, this is all going to fall down on top of him. And the judge killed himself. It, it's a heck of a story. He, didn't he do another one for Tony Spilatro too? Didn't Tony Spilatro get a not guilty on a bench trial? Because that was her deal, right? Is it, get the bench trial in front of the judge. Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. You select the right judge. Yeah. And with, with, uh, Ailman, what was so interesting is what they had already substituted out Judge Wilson and said, under no circumstances do we want him. And then Cooley said, whoa, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. <laughs> and they did the unprecedented thing of taking back that substitution as of right, as we call it, and said, okay, we'll take Judge Wilson. So sure, Spilatro benefited from that. Uh, innumerable outfit guys benefited from it. Joey Lombardo was acquitted 11 of his first 11 trials. Wow. He might not have done it. Well, of course not. <laughs> Maybe he didn't do it. And you jump, you're jumping at conclusions. Well, it's not fair. <laughs> yeah, you're, really. Got a bias against Italians? Yeah. As a paisan, I can't, I, I can't abide by that. So, so the outfit guy, <laughs> Pat Marcy, was a was he the first board councilman? Yeah, committee yeah. no committeeman. Yeah, uh, committeeman. Uh, uh, Fred Rohde was the was the uh, was the alderman. Right. Alderman, okay. And then they met at this counselor's row right across the street from the courthouse. These guys had kind of held court, and and that's where Cooley, I believe, made a lot of his deals when we meet people over there. And I believe the bureau put a a hidden microphone at the particular table that they were sitting at and a busboy found it on, on them before they got a chance to get anything. You remember that one? That's true. That's uh, absolutely you, true. You've yes. been there, correct? <clears throat> yep, absolutely. Oh, is it still there? 
it's not there now, but oh, I've, okay. I've been there. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. I, I know here in Kansas city, right across the courthouse, there's always a restaurant bar that, that uh, mob guys would hang out and, and other professional criminals, criminals and the prosecutors and the, and the judges that like to drink when they when they'd have their lunch and, and kind of connect uh, hopped out with different people and the defense lawyers and, and cops and agents and everybody would be in there at one time or another. Very similar thing. You'd see Pat Marcy in there, uh, Fred Rohde, and they would do their business at their table at Counselor's Row. Hmm, that, that was their office. Well, thanks, guys. I hope you enjoyed that. Uh, look for the next episode in the Year of the Snitch coming soon. Don't forget to hit me up on your Venmo app at Gangland Wire or go to my donate page. Need all the help we can get. And as you know, I always have a little blurb supporting the Veterans Administration and their PTSD work because it's a, it's a huge problem. There's a lot of cops with PTSD. I probably got some myself. I uh, probably could use this myself, a little PTSD help. Uh, you know, there's one more thing about that. Here in Kansas City, I was at a company, uh, actually, they worked on my computer down here at 304 Armor Road in North Kansas City. And this is for you Kansas City people. There's a virtual reality company called OmniLife. And they, ha- they fix computers. They have a virtual reality games, which are really scary. They put me in one and asked me to walk up plank and walk out and look straight down from a, like a 50-story building. I couldn't do it. It's, it's so real, it's unbelievable. But the last thing that I want to tell you is they have PTSD therapy for military vets. They use virtual reality. would like put a vet in a convoy and then have a IED blow up right in front of them and have them walk them back through their experiences that they had in, in uh, the Middle East or probably go all the way back to Vietnam now. Some of us are still around. And they have a doctor on staff whenever you do this. I don't know if they have a connection with the VA or not, but the guy was telling me about it. It sounded pretty interesting. So uh, I just wanted to give them a little plug for you Kansas City listeners. And uh, you may not have PTSD, but if you ever wanted to try something that was fun and, and exciting without taking any real physical risk, go up there to 304 Armor Road and check out the virtual reality games. Thanks, folks. Music provided by our good friend and super fan from Portland, Oregon, Casey McBride. Thanks, Casey.